Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP, and be sure to check out their annual plans for savings of up to 30% off your account for six months. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. Make your email address part of your personal brand with a new email address from Hover. Get yours today at Hover.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, Apple releases The Lion, a photographic Rube Goldberg contraption, and photographer David Dushman talks about his unfortunate accident. It's Saturday, July 23rd, 2011, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to another episode of TWIP. This is your weekly dosage of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Tristan Hall and Syl Arena. Hey, guys. Good day. All right, Tristan. Hey, you, Frederick. You're, you're coming in, Tristan, from, uh, from South Africa, and you have a, a nice, crispy, clean bandwidth connection, so we can hear you like you're sitting in the next room. And, Syl, you're where, where are you at? You're still in uh, Paso Robles, right? I am. I am in the bunker in Paso Robles. <laughs> in the bunker. You're down below ground with one, one little entrance and a skylight, right? That's pretty much it. Yep. That's awesome. Surrounded by vineyards. And then Tristan, um, you're like just just for the folks because you have been on in a, in a couple of weeks or so. What's your what are you doing in South Africa? What's your what's your main function down there? Well, um, we publish Photo Comment magazine, which is an on. We started as an online photographic magazine, and then um, we moved to print here in South Africa in December last year. Um, and it's a free photographic magazine, and we like to showcase people's photographs and review products, and just generally have fun about and enjoy photography. And then we we also recently, through um, our, the, the mother company Comment Media, launched a uh, podcast and website for the Sony Alpha users out there called Alpha Tutorials. Mm, awesome. And that um, is something that we'll be uh, doing only episode three uh, in the next week or so. But it's, it's been good fun to get it going, and, and we've great to have some um, s- fantastic support from Sony in South Africa uh, regarding that. So it's quite an exciting one. Very cool. And you are a resident Sony expert, and you, uh, or you're actually our resident nonconformist because you, you like, <laughs> you shoot Sony, not Nikon or Canon, and you are, I think I saw in the show notes that you have jumped away from any iOS device and are now in love with something else. So we're going to talk about that. So you are, uh, you're, you're vine swinging here. I understand. I understand. That's how you roll there. <laughs> Go against the grain. I'm, I'm... <laughs> that's what you got to do. That's All right. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. I'll, I'm, I'm going to start doing more of that actually. All right, before we continue, um, I want to give a nod to our sponsor, squarespace.com. We're brought to you by them. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. They've got an easy-to-use user interface that's uh, easy for 
taking your idea from concept to creation, whether whether it be like I said, a website or a blog. It's optimized for people who understand what the acronym CSS means, and for those who just want something that looks really cool. And if you want something cool, they've got hundreds of design templates to choose from that you can you can sort of pick one, use it as a starting place, and then customize it to match your needs. And they've got all kinds of modules that you can just drag and drop into your design, um, including forms, Google Maps, um, all kinds of widgets to integrate with Flickr, basically anything you could possibly want. Plus, they've got a uh, an iPhone app that you can log into your website to upsate, update your website on the go. And they just released a new updated iPad app. So it goes on and on and on. If you want an easy-to-use sort of way to get your website up and running really quickly, you can try it out. And if you are listening to this podcast, which I assume you are because you're hearing the words coming out of my mouth, um, you can sign up for a 14-day trial, a free 14-day trial. Just go to squarespace.com forward slash twip. You can sign up. You don't need a credit card. Then, then after you try it out, after that 14 days, you want to buy it, you can check out their annual plans and save up to 30% off. And But you, you redeem that by going through squarespace.com forward slash T-W-I-P. All right, guys, let's jump into the news of the week. The big news is that Apple has released a, uh, an interesting piece of software, and they're calling it Lion, um, that uh, updates all the Macs across the world that are that are running the Mac OS X operating system. Have you guys uh, updated to it, Tristan? Are you, uh, are, you're not on the Mac, are you? You're the nonconformist. No, no, I, I, I'm the nonconformist. I use Windows. You use Windows, of course, of course. You're, you don't, <laughs> you don't even know what Lion is, right? Mac, so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're adding the the. Uh, That's why I was going to ask you: Is this really big news? It's <laughs> awesome for a small percentage of the planet that of people that know about the Apple thing. They probably have heard that Apple released an update to its operating system called Lion. Just so you know what it okay. is. Okay. Um, and it includes a couple of interesting things and enhancements that are of interest to people that use Macs, like Silarina. Sil. <laughs> Silverina. Yeah, yeah. You You're, know, I was just saying, if, if Tristan was really a nonconformist, he'd say, no, I run Linux. There you go. Uh, I think the real hardcore guys are running Linux. But I, I, I used I to. I... <laughs> you did. And you used too, to run I Linux. It got too easy, so he went to Windows. I know, I know. <laughs> um, so, hey, here's the, here's the answer to the question. I, I am not, particularly with software OSs, I am not an early adopter. I'm going to let... You know, guys like you, Frederick, who uh-huh. are braver than I, yeah. um, you know, jump out there, get the new software, figure out where all the pitfalls are. And then, you know, I'm just lazy. I'm going to sit back and let you guys point out all the problems so people can <laughs> fix them. I love it. And then when everything's cool and smooth, maybe three months down the road or six months down the road, I'll switch. Nice, nice. So you, you let us take all the arrows and then you come in and, and settle the camp, right? So that makes solo. That's it. Go ahead, Tristan. What were you saying? I say that makes Sil an Apple nonconformist. Yes, yeah. Like no, everybody Syl, I know who is on Apple's already <laughs> using Lion. Sil is just a nonconformist. Period. I can see Sil just sort of hold up. He's like, you know what? I'm tired of this Photoshop thing. I feel like I actually want to just, you know, draw stuff now. <laughs> so you know, it's okay being a nonconformist. I have think. You been, have you been? Go ahead. You've been peeking in my diary, Fred. I, I know it. You've I, been peeking oh, you're in calling my diary. it a diary now. I thought you were calling it a manifesto. 
There you go. There you go. No, so, yeah, so the big deal about Lion is um, uh, I think the big news to talk about on the show is that it's not that much of a big deal. You know, normally when we have these major operating system releases, there's all kind of, a couple days later, there's all, like, from people like me, there's horror stories of it deleted all my data or I don't know how to update this and all my stuff doesn't work and all those sorts of craziness. But uh, the reports I've been seeing, and I can attest from, you know, personally, that I've had a pretty smooth upgrade process, except for the fact that you may notice my audio doesn't sound normally, or doesn't sound as good as it normally does, because Lion broke the drivers to my my little audio interface for my regular mic, so I'm using a little headset mic, so until I can get an updated driver or a box or something, so I can plug my regular mic into it. So aside from little inconveniences like that, I know people are going to chime in saying that, hey, it broke this, it broke Quicken, it broke all this stuff, but those are, uh, I think those are, you know, the price that we pay for not being Syl Arena or Tristan Hall and using something different. <laughs> so and it works, why break and- it's called progress, that's though. Sound I mean, advice, that's, no, it's not. That is not sound advice. That's <laughs> that sounds like the guy that was talking to the person, that, you know, that was driving a car while riding a horse. The other guy's riding a horse, saying, "You know, this horse, this gets me from point A to point B. Why do I need to get this car? You know, I got to put gas in it and all that. You know, it's called progress. Progress the petrol that makes a big difference. Hey, Frederick, my my Frederick, my first car was a Model A, so I can. Uh, <laughs> I can attest to the fact that the horse has some advantages. Well, you're out in the middle of vineyards. You're probably riding a horse anyway from uh, from the barn to uh, to the stable and back, right? That's awesome. I love it. That's All right. right. All right. Uh, so there's not much more to say about lion. I want to beat that lion to death. But, uh, yeah, so far so good. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, the big thing that I'm waiting on from a photographer standpoint is the cloud stuff, you know, and being able to, to have everything sort of sync and work uh, seamlessly through Apple's cloud that they're building that they announced a couple of weeks ago. If you want to learn more about that, just go to apple.com slash iCloud, and uh, they've got a ton of information about what they're about to roll out in the cloud area. All right, let's move on to story number two. Um, have you guys seen this video? This I is- did. I watched this video. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to go on record, Frederick. Yeah. It is now proven that I don't use the most photograph equipment of anybody in the universe. All right, so so set this set this uh, video up for us. What is it? It is um, it's a machine. It's a Rube Goldberg machine, and you watch for four minutes as various balls and other things roll around, and all kinds of photo gear. And oh my god, I've never seen so many gorilla pods in <laughs> one place, and on and on and on. It's just. It's fascinating for four and a half minutes, yeah. Um, you know, of goofing off. I mean, but there is so much photo gear. I had to watch it a couple times just to like say, "How do they do that? How do they do this?" So I got to say, you know, it, it's it's just fun. There's at, like like a any Rube Goldberg device. There's absolutely no point to it other than just the sheer joy of doing it. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is beautiful, and I watched it at least three times already, um, and it full screen, and I love it. What about you, Tristan? Have, have you seen it, the video? It, it was fantastic. Uh, I, I read up um, the, the behind the scenes stuff in that about about it, and I I read somewhere that they'd been working on this project from like January, if I'm not mistaken. I think the idea was conceived in November, and they've been working on it since January, February, if I remember correctly. And I was like, that's. Um, 
it, it's an incredible amount of dedication to get such a – I mean, for us, it's fantastic, but the amount of work that must have gone behind it. Yeah. I, I wonder how busy the studio was during that period. Though, That's what I'm saying. They used a lot of space <laughs> to do that thing. It took for it looks like it took forever to sort of put together and test, and, you know, you got to run the ball through it every single time to make sure it's working. Where was all the photography taking place? Because you're tying up all the gear, you know, all the gear is tied was, up and all the space is tied up. I'd also love to know how many times they had to try and shoot that video for it to run from beginning to end perfectly in one mm-hmm. go. Yeah, so I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, I said, "Self, why did they do this?" You know, and then, uh, then my other self said, "Well, because you're going to talk about it on this week in photo, and they're going to get all that play." <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's good. I like it. I, I want to, you know, I think that should just be on loop in some people's studios. You know, put it on a big screen. Put it on repeat and let it play over and over again. It's a it's an awesome piece of video. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> listeners, we will link to it definitely, or even maybe even embedded in the in the uh, the blog post for the show. All right, and the third story, Tristan. Um, we specifically wanted to have you on this show to talk about this, and I understand that you have some experience. And this story is about the new Sony Alpha NEX C3, um, which is one of Sony's new pieces of kit. Um, what are your experiences with this thing? First of all, what is it, and and why is it important? Why do we even need to be talking about it? Well, the NEX range is Sony's uh, answer to the mirrorless market, and um, when we were in Fotokina last year, um, we heard some very interesting f- um, statistics there because uh, by the time Fotokina rolled around, I think the Sony NEXs had only been on the market for – if I stand under correction here, but I think it was about six months, if that even. Um, they'd, they'd kind of shown them off already at uh, CES um, earlier last year. And what was interesting back then was that in Europe, at least, the Sony Europe shared um, that the statistics they had for Europe was that the mirrorless market had gained uh, about 8% of uh, interchangeable lens camera sales and that the NEX in its short space of time was uh, had grabbed 4% of that, wow. of that 8%. So it was already back then a, a big mover for them. And the NEX C3, which I've actually got it in my hands at the moment, is a fantastic camera. I, I, I must be honest, when they launched, I was still working at Sony when the NEXs uh, were launched. And it was quite an exciting time for us um, because it was what Sony had literally done is they'd looked at what the other guys in the market space had done and kind of taken all the feedback that people were giving and created something to really meet those people's needs. Um, you know, whereas everybody was trying to make an SLR really small, Sony tried to make a point and shoot, give SLR quality, um, image quality. You know, so it's got an APS-C size sensor in it, but the user experience is very, very familiar for anyone who's got a, um, a, a Sony Cybershot or compact camera. You know, it's not got uh, a mode dial or things like that that you normally accustomed to um, but this the c3 was i mean that the, the original nex5 and 3 were were great cameras and the nex5 is still current um, but the c3 replaces the entry-level nex3 and they've improved the design and handling of the camera a bit they've made it smaller um, they've put a 16 megapixel sensor inside of it opposed to the 14 that was there previously wow and um and and you know some people would say well that doesn't make a huge difference um 
I must be honest, I don't know that the average person would necessarily see it, but there are some some advantages to the new sensor. Um, you know, it is it is uh, a bit better in low light conditions. Um, it does appear to be a bit sharper as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a fantastic uh, improvement from what the NEX3 was. Wow. Uh, really, really nicely designed camera. And they've also customized, I mean, you know, one of the complaints people had is that the when the cameras first launched, they were very menu-based. And then Sony released a firmware update to give you soft keys that you could customize. Mm-hmm. Well, on the new C3 and the new firmware that they've launched for the NEX5 and the three following the C3's announcement, I mean, there are only two buttons which have assigned functions. The other, all the other buttons have their, are soft keys, and you can program them to do different things like be your ISO, your metering mode, your drive mode, all of those different things. So you can really customize this camera to get to what the features you need quickly in a hurry, um, you know, exactly the way you want it to be. Wow. And are those, are, is that configuration or that customization, is it, is it? Can you save it as presets? For example, you know, I'm going out and I know I'm going to be doing a lot of macro photography, so I want certain controls available to me, and I want the c- camera to be in a certain mode, and I want to be able to hit a button for the camera to sort of do a transformers thing and transform itself. It, it doesn't have like your your top end Nikon or Canons might have, where you've got your your set user modes, which you can predefine. This user mode must be black and white. This user mode must be color. That kind of thing. Um, it, it it doesn't have that, unfortunately, but it does allow for a much quicker um, user experience than what you had with them previously. And I I actually find it probably faster now than what the other mirrorless cameras are out there with um, you know mode dials and and that kind of a user experience, which is more. SLR um, based so uh, yes there, there's still room for them to improve but I, I think many of us in the Sony uh, camp are, are waiting to see what Sony will do because the, the C3 is a, a great camera and it's a great up, upgrade on an entry level model um, but you know there's the NEX5 which I love I use it probably for 80% of the stuff I shoot now mm-hmm. um, is it, it's a great camera, but it's not. It's still not aimed at the pro market or serious market to the same degree that some of us would like it to be. So I, I suspect before the year is out, we're going to see another NEX, which um, will will take the the game up to another level, um, which will be interesting to see. So Tristan, looking looking at this this device or this new camera, and you know coming from. The world of you know when when I pick up my I call it my serious point and shoot I'm going to grab my G9 or my Canon right and and take that thing out and and do shooting what mm-hmm. what's the carrot for someone like me that's like okay you know what my G9 is great it still works wonderfully I love it it's getting a little long in the tooth I I should upgrade to the latest G series G12 G11 whatever the the latest one is um, should I be considering moving over to Sony and if so why I think. Uh, the the Sony NEX cameras are great. Um, they are, if you compare them to an SLR, they are incredibly small. Um, but if you are still wanting one camera you can put in your pocket and have a six-time zoom with, you, you still need to look at going for a compact camera. In fact, um, if you know if the RAW thing is not a, a big issue for you, then Sony's um, HX9V is a fantastic little compact camera. Cybershot HX9V gives you... Um, I think it's a 15 times zoom in it. It's a 16 megapixel backlit CMOS sensor. I've seen uh, reviews of this camera which are out of this world um, when you consider it's a compact camera. But if you're wanting SLR quality and you're prepared to make the compromise that you're going to have 
still a system-based camera. So you, you're going to be carrying around a body which is minute compared to an SLR, but you're going to also have maybe one or two lenses to give you the versatility you want. Yeah. Um, then, yes, the NEX range is, is ideal. I mean, they launched with the smallest um, mirrorless camera on the market, and it's taken their competitors almost a year to, to kind of catch up. Um, and, they, and the competitors had a smaller sensor to begin with. So, you know, that's been a, a big plus for them in that regard. But I, I think it's with everything in photography, it's a compromise. I, I've, you know, f- the only time I now use a, a traditional SLR is when I need to shoot full frame. Um, otherwise, the rest of the time, I'm using my, my NEX uh, 5 for the bulk of the stuff that I'm shooting. And I have that with the 18 to 55 millimeter on there, and, and I'm incredibly happy. Yeah. Um, yes, it's not. It's not going to fit in my pocket without having a little bit of a bulge, um, you know, but it's, it's still small enough for me to carry around that I'm not worried that it's advertising, you know. When I walk around in Johannesburg City Center, I'm not worried that people are seeing that I've got a big expensive camera with me kind of thing. Yeah. And, and they want to mug me around the next corner. So, right, right. Yeah. So, so uh, <coughs> Sil, uh, on your side of things, I know you're, you're a Canon shooter, of course, speedlighters.com, L-I-T-E-R-S. Um, uh, are you? We talk about this in the show a little bit, or from time to time, in terms of people that are that make their bread and butter with digital SLRs, um, and how that middle ground of the point and shoot camera seems to be going away, um, which Sony seems to not believe that. Are you? Where are you in that? I mean, are you the iPhone shooter when you're not carrying your DSLR? And no. you, what, what's, good, your, good what's your MO? So, so first off, I I don't think um, the NEX series are middle of the road point and shoots. I mean these things carry yeah, the body is like point and shoot size, but the lenses are, you know, yeah, they're smaller than my L series Canon glass, but they're still big lenses. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, this is kind of uh the whole mirrorless tech technology and that whole mirrorless segment is of interest. Um to me, but it, the shortcoming to that platform for me is when you're trying to do critical focus, I mean, you're trying to put, uh, and you know, this is coming from a guy who said a thousand times, "Hey, focus is highly overrated." Because uh, <laughs> I've had my issues with Canon's autofocus, but anyway, um, you know, for critical focus, I mean, if you're doing macro photography and you want to focus on the center of the flower, not the forward petal or whatever, I'm not convinced that the mirrorless platform is as user friendly as your traditional through the lens type focusing system. But, you know, that said, uh, I think there's a huge series of advantages, particularly for the amateur. And, and that's, you know, the, the, the DSLR is big, it's bulky. Um, you've got issues with dust hitting the sensor quite a bit. And I think that's going to be less of an issue with these mirrorless cameras, perhaps. The NEX there, that is the one thing that does worry me about it. When you take the lens off, there's no shutter covering the sensor. So oh, really? It, Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I, I guess they suspect you're not going to be changing lenses as often, maybe. I don't know. But that is just, just that's the one concern I do have with it um, is yeah, your sensor is probably more exposed than an SLR is. So just oh, be careful with it. I, just, I had the assumption, Tristan, you set me straight. Here in public venue. Thank you very much. Sorry. That's uh, <laughs> no, okay. Um, I had the impre- I mean, gosh, I would have thought there would have been something that jumped down. Okay. I stand corrected. I, I would have that. thought so as well. I, I honestly thought so. And that was like the first thing that surprised me with them. But I must be honest, um, you know, 
the, the one downside to Sony's NEXs is they don't have a lot of lenses available compared to their competitors yet. I guess the upside to that is you don't then have a lot of reason to change lenses. So, um, you know, I, I haven't had a problem with dust on it, but um, oddly enough, the, the, the first camera I've had issues with dust in a year on was the Sony's with the, the translucent mirror technology. How I got dust on a, on a sensor in it with a translucent mirror, I don't know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it it just it it is something that people need to be aware of is be careful, you know. At the end of the day, changeable lens cameras it, it's going to be the same challenge as an SLR just that it's on a smaller body. So, yeah. yeah. So 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 still on your side, you know, just back to you a little bit. What what you know, when I when I think about these small cameras, I think about compromises, right? So I think, right. okay, I'm going to use a small camera, which means all this cool stuff that Sill and David Hobby and you know Joe McNally talk about with using off-camera strobe and all that. That's off to me. So yep. and and the little flash that comes on these little devices is not really going to do much for me. So I'm turning the flash off. So I'm relegating myself to available light pretty much, which means the sensor needs to be able to handle the situations I need it to handle. Is that your right. experience or is there some magic I can do from Silarina's book that will show me how to get strobe, you know, off-camera strobe from a small camera? Okay, so so quickly on that, Frederick, I I tell everybody these days, look, if you've got on-camera flash and you're shooting in daylight, turn the flash on, and if you're shooting in dim light, turn the flash off because um, all of these cameras that have these pop-ups or built-in little flashes are pretty brilliant when it comes to daytime fill light. They, I mean, they get that, and and I'm totally impressed. For instance, right now I've got um, Canon's PowerShot S95 in my hand, which I recently took on a two-week family road trip. I took this in the in the Canon G12, and um, I love this S95. I mean, it's an amazing little camera that's about the size of a deck of cards. Now, you're absolutely right. I don't have a hot shoe here, so I can't do any off-camera flash work. Mm-hmm. But you know what? This ca- I mean, I had this ca- I emptied my pockets last night. It's like, where are my car keys? Where are my wallet? And I was like, oh, my God, my camera's been in my pocket all day, and I didn't have a clue. And I think that really um, says something about the form factor of these little guys. I've totally given up. I have um, an HTC incredible um, cell phone, you know, Android and all that. I've totally given up on that as a camera platform. One, because I've got all kinds of junk in my pocket that gets on the lens. And two, this, I mean, it's okay if you got you have nothing else. But this this small S95, and because it shoots raw, I mean, I'm I'm totally in love with this little camera so in turn and it's truly a point and shoot and i found i got both the s95 and the g12 thinking gosh you know i don't i i had the g10 for years and i wanted to upgrade yeah and i was thinking okay i hope amy's not listening because thinking oh yeah i'll give her the s95 <laughs> i opened the box i was like oh my god i'm keeping this camera it is so small and so cool um so I had both cameras with me on this trip, and I shot uh, 1,100 frames with the S95, and I shot 112 or something like that with the G12. Um, and principally, those were shots where I wanted to use the tilt screen. on the, I was shooting overhead on a whale-watching excursion. And I was trying to get all the people photographing the two whales off the ship. There's like 400 people pointing their cameras at two whales, mm-hmm. and that was the shot I wanted. So to get that shot, I had to hold the camera straight over my head, and I couldn't do it with S95 because I couldn't see the screen, but I whipped out my G12, tilted the screen down. It's like, 
I got the shots that I wanted. So, you know, these are tools. I mean, these are wrenches and no one camera is going to be able to do every job you want it to. Um, I'm not going to get uh, 5D Mark II quality out of this S95, but you know what? I'm going to have this camera in my pocket most days of the week. So when I see a really beautiful bit of light that I want to grab and just make a, a snapshot, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a decent camera with me because my cell phone's just not cutting it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's so not Tr- incredible. Tristan on, on your side, just to close it off the, what are your options when you want to use off camera strobe with one of these devices? Do you, are you doing anything like that? Are you using like, you know, optical slaves or anything magic or is it just available light all the way? It's available light at the moment. That is the one weakness with the NEX system versus its competitors. It has its own proprietary shoe, and that is largely because Sony um, created accessories, and that's specifically around the video functionality of their cameras. So you can get a, a mic that goes into that accessory shoe um, directly, and, and you don't have to worry about running a cable into different plugs and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> I'm kind of hoping that we will see an accessory shoe adapter that will allow you to have, have a, you know, a hot shoe on the camera in the near future um, because its competitors do have a standard hot shoe for, for, their, um, for their models. So, yeah, at the moment, I don't do any Strobus type work with, uh, with the NEXs as it stands right now. You could probably do it using Optical Slave. Um, and like I say, with the pro model that we're hoping will come out sometime soon, I'd like to maybe see them include Sony's wireless flash technology because that works really well. Um, but it is the one weakness with the system at the moment. It's available light only. Okay. All right, before we move on, guys, I want to give another nod to one of our wonderful sponsors who I just used yesterday to register a domain name for a project I'm working on, and it's Hover.com. They're the other sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo. And just a quick note to folks who may not be familiar with them, they're a domain registration service that aims to make the process simple by tossing all the stuff that you don't need overboard. They don't sell a ton of services, and they focus on making it easy to register and manage your domains and email addresses. And the cool thing is they have, which I haven't tried out yet, I think I may try it out in a couple days, but they have a new no-hold policy for customer service calls Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, meaning when you call, you'll get a live person and they won't put you on hold. So I'm going to test that wow. and report back because <laughs> I'm going to call them. I, have, I actually have some legitimate questions. I'm going to call them. Uh, tomorrow or uh, Monday afternoon and uh, see what's going on. But uh, it's a cool service and it's really slick. It's really easy to use. You go there, like some other domain registration services, you go there and you feel like you're buying a used car. You know, you go on a lot and, you know, there's all these different things and you don't know what you should buy and then there's some scare tactics of, you know, hey, pay this extra fee or your home address will be public to the world in the Whois database. You know, all the stuff that goes on and they just make it really simple, really straightforward, really clean and elegant. You just go there. I'm looking for this particular domain. Is it available? Yes. I want to buy it. Five clicks later, you own the thing and then you have an admin screen where you can say, I want this to point to this this website. That's it. Boom. It makes it happen. And now I have a new personal email service that does a couple things. It uh, gives you 
great recommendations for selecting a personal email address. So you can go in and say, put in your name, like, you know, Frederick Van Johnson, and it'll give you a list of permutations of that, 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 uh, basically it's a list based on your first and last name before and after the at sign in your email address, and you can just scroll down that list and pick it. And then in one click, you can have that forwarded to another email address. And now you have a personal, cool, you know, email address that's without setting up another account. It's just basically forwarding to another email that you're already using. Then you can filter on that. So you, say you're using Gmail, you could say, okay, anything that comes in from this address, throw it in this folder. So it's really cool. It's ideal for people that are like freelancers, you want to set up a business, or consultants, real estate agents, people who change jobs all the time, you know, and they, they just want things to look polished and professional, um, people whose name is their brand, like Silarina and Tristan Hall, you know, you might want to do that, and anyone, mm-hmm. anyone who wants to develop a brand, just a personal brand, which I would suggest everyone on the planet do, um, who wants to develop a personal brand for themselves, you should be doing that. So, the offer that they're throwing down, if you go over to Hover.com, enter your first name, or Hover.com slash TWIP, enter your first and last name, and you'll uh, they'll guide you through the process of getting a professional-looking email address, and it will be painless and simple. And I'd be interested to know in the comments you know, how it works out for you. I'm definitely going to try out their no-hold policy and see if that works. I'm pretty sure it does, but I will, I will report back and let you guys know how that goes. All right, this ne- this next thing is really really interesting. Um, a friend of mine, David Dushman, who I've known for quite a while now, um, he uh, I've been trying to do this interview for a while now. Basically, several months ago, David was injured at the beginning of one of his photo- photographic adventures uh, in Pisa, in Pisa, Italy. Basically, he fell several feet to land on his feet, breaking both of them as well as cracking his pelvis. Um, and this was, you know, he's out trying to get a shot and he slipped and fell, you know, it was like one of those, uh, I, I can only imagine that it's just one of those horrific things where you're just in slow motion seeing your life flash before your eyes and then boom, you land on concrete on your feet. Um, and you can imagine the impact. So basically he fell and broke both his feet among and injured a bunch of other things, including his pelvis. And now he's recovering. And in this interview, he shared the details about how it happened why it happened, and what he's doing to get back literally on his feet. All right, I'm here with Mr. David Dushman. He has been on This Week in Photo a couple times before. I've interviewed him, but not since a relatively significant event has happened in his life. So we, I, I had the opportunity to catch up with him to chat about that event and kind of what else he's been up to over the last several months. I think it's been, yeah, it might have been almost a year since I've so I've spoken with David. So, David, let's just jump right into it. Welcome back to This Week in Photo. Thanks, Frederick. How are you? I'm doing great. The big question is, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. You're, I doing, really am. you're doing okay. So let, let, me, let me just set the stage here uh, for the folks who don't know. You were in Italy several months ago. That's and right. at the beginning of a workshop, and you decided to go take some photos or do a little sightseeing before dinner or something and had a little adventure. Take me, take me through what happened that night. Yeah. We, um, my buddy Jeffrey Chapman and I run these things called, uh, within the frame 
photographic adventures. And we had just done one week uh, on the coast in Italy and had a spectacular week with our students. And and uh, those students went home and another group of students came in for another week. And this week was uh, meant to be in Tuscany. And so we were in the city of, of Pisa and we had just met the team and had a spectacular meal. And uh, there's a, a river that runs through the middle of the city and we were uh, right in front of our hotel. So we were sitting there right in front of the river and we were talking and, and the river's significantly lower than street level. It's about 30 feet down. Um, and I was just kind of sitting there and, and the river was really beautiful, incredible reflections. And I just thought, you know, first thing in the morning or sort of more twilighty, this would be really gorgeous. So I thought I'll take a couple of scout shots and, uh, and to make a long story short, there's a, a ledge a little bit further, further down. I thought I'll just hop down to this ledge significant ledge. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, three inches and I had to balance on one toe or anything. Um, and I hopped down and, and I, I guess I rolled on an ankle or something and it, it all happened pretty quick. But the long story is I, uh, I fell about 30 meters, sorry, 30 feet, uh, landed on concrete, Jeez. shattered, shattered both my feet and, uh, cracked my pelvis. And, uh, and that was the beginning of that. Well, that was April 23rd. It was Easter weekend. The, uh, the only other time in my life I've broken a bone was also on Easter weekend. So uh, that's just maybe just stay, stay away from me on Easter weekend. <laughs> you just stay home on Easter weekend. It, maybe I should. So, um, so that's, you know, that, since then it's been, it's been a long recovery. It, uh, eventually they flew me back to Ottawa uh, where my family lives. And I've been, I went through a, a, a two back-to-back surgeries that took about 12 hours and uh, they put pins and, and plates and uh, did a bone graft um, to kind of get me back to a point where eventually things would be somewhat normal. So um, now I'm still in a wheelchair. I'm walking on crutches. I'm going to physio and, and just uh, kind of on the very edge of being able to put more weight on my feet and actually begin to learn how to walk again, which is a uh, uh, to be quite honest, is a terrifying prospect. I mean, yeah. mentally, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around, you know, I mean, my muscles have atrophied, I've, my calf muscles are gone. And um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit daunting, but it's uh, at the same time, I like to have a challenge. So I'm, I'm jumping in with both feet, so to speak. Yeah, yeah that's well, a bad metaphor. That is it? a bad metaphor. I was going to say <laughs> that. That's, it's, I mean, this is, a, you know, the way, the way I'm listening to you talk about this, it sounds like you sound almost nonchalant about it. Like, yeah, yeah, I kind of fell 30 feet. Or, you know, I jacked up both of my feet, cracked my pelvis, all this stuff. And I went through fit. This is huge. When we were talking before I clicked record, you were saying that the people, like two other people in a short span before you had your fall off of that ledge fell and didn't make it, right? So yeah, yeah. To my, I mean, from what from what I understood from the the newspapers, who were all uh, as best I could translate, were all saying stupid Canadian tourist falls off wall. Yeah. Um, they all of the accounts said that previously this year, two other people had fallen off the wall and died. Wow. So you know the the obvious question is, oh well, David, how has this changed you? You know. So, but let me let me reframe that a little bit. So most people, I would argue don't in a, you know it might be controversial controversial to say it don't have the opportunity to have a near death experience and survive and the people that do always say at least in my experience they typically say wow you know i have this you know colors are brighter and you know i appreciate things more and what i'm curious to know is from a photographer's perspective you know when when this happens to you and especially now you can't walk here in a wheelchair seemingly i would imagine seemingly mundane tasks are now you know hard you know like walking to get the mail and that kind of thing 
So how has this changed you? I mean, as a, as a photographer, do you appreciate, you know, just being able to go out and take a picture of a, like a, a an ant more or, you know, what, <laughs> what would you, cause you can't, right? I mean, we appreciate things that we cannot do. So what, how do you, how would you say this is kind of altered or has this altered you at all? Or is it just like, you know what, this is a thing I'm going to heal. I'm going to get back to it. No, I think, you know, you, to go back to what you said initially, I, I uh, you mentioned that you know I'm taking this rather nonchalantly, and I, th- I think um, I am now. It's I mean we're we're several months after the event, but um, things even very difficult things become our they become our our reality, and the novelty wears off. And um, the fact is, things are increasingly getting easier for me, even if. Even if my context doesn't change, you know, getting around in the wheelchair becomes easier. Um, some of my daily tasks become easier. And uh, but taking it nonchalantly, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it has been really. There have been times when I, you know, we talked earlier. I, I've had tears running down my my face, going, "I just can't do this. I, yeah. Why is it so freaking hard?" And and it, so it is. It's very difficult, and and I don't want to make more of it than it is. I mean, the fact is, it, it, other people died. I could have. There was a great concern that I'd had internal injuries and might be, have internal bleeding. And you know, I got off really lucky. I mean, I, I keep telling people I fell thirty feet without a scratch. Um, I shattered my bones, but there were no scratches on me. Uh, but you know, there were no head injuries and that sort of thing. And so I consider myself extremely fortunate. Do I see things brighter? Not really. I mean, I was on a quite a terror before this happened uh, about how brief and fragile life is. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in my friends who struggle with cancer. I've seen it in people that, you know, I've heard stories, people that just, I say, how are you doing? And they, they tell me my brother-in-law or my brother or someone close to me died last. And I just, I, I've become very conscious of how brief and fragile life is. And so then I fall off the wall and it's kind of like, that's my, my master's degree in all of this stuff you know, the, I mean, I kind of had a bachelor's in life is short and then I fell off the wall and, and lived through it. And I just, I remember falling thinking I'm going to die and I didn't have time to have regrets. I didn't have time to process it or to, all I could think was I am going to die. And when you land and you realize you have not died, it's like someone's given you this unbelievable gift. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is. It, I mean, it's not like someone's given you an unbelievable gift. It is an unbelievable gift to be alive and to recognize that in our daily life. And so um, how has it changed me as a photographer? Well, I think our who we are as a photographer is an extension of who we are as a person mm-hmm. and so the bigger question is how is this going to change me as as a human being and i think you know it's given me i was already i'd like to think i was a pretty grateful person before but this has given me a uh, much um, a bigger sense of gratitude for the small things you know and taking time for the important things and suddenly my priorities have uh I don't think they've changed. I think they've galvanized. I think if they were, uh, you know, if it was an eight out of 10 before this one now goes up to 11, you know, like it just, it, things have become the really important things have become much more important and the trivial things have become much more trivial. I think so things are much more polarized in my life. And, and then of course, as how, how this translates to photography, I mean, photography is about the moment you pick up your camera and you recognize a moment and you either get it in a 60th of a second or it's gone. And and so we value, I mean, especially with this, ta- you know, Henri Cartier's person, uh, decisive moment, we value the moment and recognize that one moment aesthetically is different um, and uh, than others. And and so 
I don't know, as a, I guess just as a human being, I'm looking at that and, and going, you know what, all we have is moments. All yeah. we have is moments. And people are living like they have forever. And it just, it astonishes me, you know, oh, I'll do it later. Oh, I wish I could do what you do. And I'm a very lucky person. I mean, I love the life that I've crafted for myself, but make no mistake about it. I've worked really, really hard and I've sacrificed things and I've made mistakes and I've fallen on my face. I've fallen on other parts of me too. You fall, you pick yourself up and, and you risk and, and that the reward for that is, um, you know, moments in life that are extraordinary and, and I, so I think that's going to affect my photography. Seeing things more brightly, well, I do. I mean, life is beautiful. The fact that I still get to live, everything becomes more beautiful. You, you see the light a little more, a little differently. And, uh, but I don't think it takes a near-death experience for that or, or whatever. I'm, it was mine a near-death experience. I don't know. It was, a, it was a, just a horrible accident. That, you know. But it has changed the way I see life and the way I see uh, the world. So that can't help but change my photography. I just don't know how yet because I'm not out taking pictures of ants. I mean, I'm using my iPhone a lot. Um, I, I picked up one of these Fuji X100s and I'm playing with that. But honestly, I haven't, uh, I haven't even taken my cameras out of the bag since, uh, since I fell in Italy. So, um, so what, I'm, not, what, I'm not shooting. What, you know? does, what does right now look like for you? Like what's a day in the life of, of David? A lot of coffee. I'm, I'm very much enjoying my coffee. <laughs> so am I, no, actually. You know what? I, I, uh, I mean, I get up really early. I have a tough time sleeping um, because of all this. And, and so I get up early. And, but I'm just pouring myself into, into my work. And I, I love that for me when people say, you know, oh, is this a work or pleasure? You know, you come back, back through the, the customs border and they say, you know, we're either. And I, I can't help but be a bit of a smart ass and say, you know, I really don't believe in that there's a distinction between the two. I mean, it's both. And so for me, I get up and I do the work and you don't wait as a creative person to be inspired. You sit down and you do the work. So for me, the biggest thing was my, my next book. Um, when I fell, it seriously jeopardized my ability to meet my deadlines and my publishers, of course, you know, they push things back and, and the deadlines actually now have been have been met and everything's good. The book will only be a, a few weeks later than the original published date, which was sometime in September. Um, but I just sat down um, when finally my mind kind of cleared of the narcotic fog <laughs> and I just started doing the work. And so I, I don't do a lot of photography. I've done some, um, you know, with my iPhone and my, my X100 and just poking around. But mostly I've been doing the other stuff that is my business that's writing and blogging and tweeting and, and connecting with the community that's kind of gathered around me. And that was probably the most amazing thing, Frederick. And I, I know that you didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> um, Lying in that hospital bed when the news finally kind of got out and, and I began to be able to interact for for the first few days, my manager, Corwin, was kind of telling the world what was going on. But when I began to interact, the the amount of support and kindness that came out of people that have been part of my community, are part of my community, people that I don't – I've never met. I know them by a, a Twitter handle or um, their name on Facebook or something. The, the outpouring of support was it was unbelievable. I mean, I had more flowers coming into my hospital room and cards and boxes from Amazon. People were like, oh, I just thought you'd be bored. Here's a DVD set. Here's a book. Here's, I mean, I, I had to give my mom boxes of stuff because it just, you know, they would not fit in the hospital room. That's awesome. And, and they're just the outpouring of support. People, people were sending me flowers and my, my mom would walk in and go, oh, those are beautiful. Who are they from? And I'd have to say, I have no idea. <laughs> I just don't know. And, and it was the most amazing thing. And people 
people were writing in and saying, you know, y- you inspire me. And I was writing on my blog, no, you inspire me because these people, they've never met me and they were just pouring out their love and, and they honest, honestly, they got me through it. So my community is very, very important to me. And now that the fog is sort of cleared and I've been able to clear the, the book um, and get the deadline met, um, I've been working on other things and spending a lot of time just blogging and tweeting and um, I just did a Twitter view with uh, with my publisher Peach Pit, and and it's so much fun to see these people that y- you see on the blog, and you see, and just to be able to kind of interact, and it's just it's amazing. So that, for me, that's I mean that's what do the work means right now is sit down and write, sit down and connect with my community, um, and and the physio. I mean, my job right now is to to learn to walk again, and so you know I get my therabands out and I stretch my ankles and I do my stuff and I, you know, I get on the floor and I, all of that stuff that physio tells me to do, I just do my homework and, uh, because I can't do anything until I can walk again. I mean, I, I won't be able to do these workshops. I won't be able to, to do the stuff I love until I can get out of this wheelchair. So that's, that's what it means, you know, for me to do the work right now, but it's great. I'm, you know, I'm living at my parents' home and I've had more family time than I've had in, in years. And, uh, it's been it's actually been quite lovely in some ways, you know, and like I said, you, you learn to appreciate the moments. And if I was sitting here going, oh, man, if only I could walk. I mean, you have those moments, but then I'd be missing this moment. Then I would be missing the beauty of this moment. And frankly, it's beautiful whether I can walk or not. And I crawl my way out to the veranda and I sit in the Adirondack chairs and I have a gin and tonic with my mom and I look out at the pond and I think, you know what? Right now, this moment is perfect. Yeah, and and I think too often we kind of wish it away. Oh, things will be so much better when things will be so much better if. Well, sometimes if and when don't happen. You got to enjoy what you got now. That that truer words than have ever been spoken. I'm guilty of that as well. Of of uh, what sort of mortgaging today for a better tomorrow? You know, so why not just live today? So here- yeah, and and more importantly, I mean, I mean, it's not even a why not. I mean, it, the, more importantly, why why bank on tomorrow? Because mm-hmm. it just it may not be there, you know. Everyone says, "Oh, I'll do it later," and later just never comes. Yeah. It just doesn't, you know. And and uh, one day you wake up and you've got a brain tumor, and I don't want to be morbid about it, but life can be very difficult. It can be very very challenging and uh, and short. And we just live in such denial about it. But the moment you embrace the fact that that it is short you start making decisions through a bit of a different filter. And and that may not mean that you just, you know, say, oh, to hell with it all and go to Antarctica or whatever. That may mean you just be the best parent that you can be and you stop spending your time watching Lost and you start putting time into your family or, you know, coaching your, your kid's soccer game or whatever it is. But living intentionally, a good life is made the same way a good a uh, good photograph is made, you know, it's done intentionally. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think, um, I mean, I, I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of this sermon. Other people are going to get tired of me preaching it, but, um, that's fine. So let's, let's transition into the book. So what you've been, you've been working on while you've been sort of convalescing and getting back to normal, the fourth book that you've written, this is the fourth print book that you, that you've written and it's done. I assume, are you, is it ready? Is it, is done, Peach, done Peach Pit happy? Uh, well, Peach Pit's thrilled. Um, I'm one of their f- few authors that you know gets things in on time all the time. Um, it's only because I have a British mother who told me if you're not five minutes early, you're five minutes late. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, no, they're they're thrilled. But we're 
I, I, done is no, we're not done. Uh, I have submitted everything. I've submitted the photographs and the words. Now we go through edits. Now we go through layout. Now we, you know, do little tweaks and that sort of thing. So it'll go to print. Um, to my knowledge, it will go to print halfway through the month of September and be released halfway through the month of October. Um, I would love to see it pushed up because I got things in earlier than they were expecting. It would be so cool if it got pushed even a couple weeks up. Um, but it's coming. It's well, well on its way and. You know, so the title, my, the title of this book is Photographically Speaking. What's it about? Photographically Speaking. And the subtitle is uh, Creating – let me think about this now. You know what? I always forget the subtitles. <laughs> Let's I'm, write it right now like, together. <laughs> yeah, I wrote this book, Vision and Voice. It's about uh, – I, I don't know. Um, it's uh, – I believe it's uh, a deeper look at creating stronger images is the is the subtitle and the whole idea behind it is that photography is a language it, it's a visual language and um, one of the things that I noticed on these um, photographic adventures I do and I hesitate to call them workshops because they the workshops kind of got its own format and um, but we would sit down with students and we would ask them to talk about photographs and that's how our image critique and image evaluation sessions would go and they would sit and they would look at these photographs and have very little to say and it struck me that photographers are terrible uh, at speaking about speaking about photographs mm-hmm. we're, we're just really now admittedly a lot of us become photographers because we're not good with words and so I'm, I'm not making a case that we should all be very articulate about photography however um, I do think that we need to understand the language of the photograph. We un- need to understand that when a line is uh, oblique and, and goes diagonally through a photograph instead of straight horizontally, that it leads the eye in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even talk these days uh, about viewing a photograph. If, if I talk about someone looking at my photograph, um, really they are reading the photograph. And so it may be a little bit of semantics, but the difference between viewing a photograph and reading a photograph, I think, is substantial. You, you view something passively, but when you read it, you read it actively, and your imagination has a role in it, and you interpret it. And so if we look at things, our photographs, through that lens, and we understand that someone is going to read my photograph, um, then the question is, how are they going to read it? And you can't answer that for everyone, and, and culturally, we, you know, we will read things differently, but by and large... Uh, we read photographs in a certain way with some variances. And so um, I really wanted to write a book about the visual language so that when people are making a photograph, they're considering all all the elements and all the decisions. A language at its most basic is about words and grammar. It's the elements you got and what you do with them. And it's the same thing in photography. You've got elements. You've got the stuff, generally speaking, that's out there, the rocks, the trees, the people, whatever. Um, and then you've got the decisions. What do you do with that and the way the camera and the lens interacts with that reality? So, um, for example, your POV, what you say with a photograph, if you are looking down at a child uh, or at eye level with a child, what you say through that photograph, through the choice of those, just that one choice, the choice of POV, your point of view, mm-hmm. uh, says very different things. What you do with a line leads the eye through a photograph or doesn't lead the eye through a photograph. Um, the colors we choose or the choice to render a photograph in black and white. My students always laugh when they say, if I ever get a wind-up doll, it's going to say, have you tried it in black and white? Um, <laughs> because color can be very seductive and color has a psychology to it. So the question is, you know, if you choose to include the, fo- the color in this photograph, why? Because it says something and the readers of your photograph will assume that you knew what you were doing. No one reads an, a novel 
and and just assumes the author randomly chose the words. And no one would ever ex- uh, expect an author to say, you know, when you ask him about, oh, tell me why you use this certain word. Oh, well, it just kind of was in there. You know, well, no, didn't you put it in there? Wasn't it intentional? Of course it was. And yet we get away with it in photography when you say to someone, well, why did you include this? Oh, well, that was just, you know, part of the scene. Well, you couldn't have moved. You couldn't have isolated it. You couldn't have changed your depth of field. I mean, there's so many choices. There's so many decisions that we can use to be more intentional. No, sometimes you have, you can't do anything about it. But you know what you can do? You cannot take the picture. Yeah. If it doesn't come up to your standards, if you've got this thing and you're making excuses and saying, well, I just couldn't get rid of that one element. That one guy wouldn't move. Well, okay, but you still chose to make the photograph, and yep. you still know you know that that presence of that one element um, weakens the photograph. So either go back and shoot it again, or wait longer, or simply chalk it up as an experience. Take some photographs as sketch images, and and some other day, some other year, make a similar photograph that does work, but. Just to say, well, you know, the, these elements just randomly appeared in my photograph and I'm not responsible. The reader will assume that you're responsible. And so it just it behooves us to learn the language. And um, that was a really, really long answer to your question. <laughs> it was great, though. It's so, awesome. And, and so, so the other half of the book, so the first half of the book is about the, the visual language and about the way photographs speak. But then the second half of the book is how do we speak about photographs? And it's not so that we can learn how to speak about photographs. It's so that when we put the camera up to our eye, we are very familiar with all the elements and the decisions. So I, my contention is if you sit down with 100 photographs and you wrote down with you know a big pad of paper everything that you could about all those photographs and literally everything, you know, and you sit down with um, – I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Any any of your favorite photo, the Afghan girl, Steve McCurry, mm-hmm. and you say this is this is a vertically oriented photograph. Uh, the aspect ratio is four to three, and that verticality does the following. If this was framed horizontally, you would lose the following. Uh, the textures in this uh, this woman's or this girl's garment lead my eye in this way and create a contrast with you know with this, and and the gaze of her eyes creates the the emotion, the color, and the way – if you describe everything, including what you believe the choice of optic is, what POV was, you know, for example, the Afghan girl, Steve McCurry was at eye level. Any other POV on that image would have changed the image significantly and the image therefore would have said something different. So the last half of the book, I take 20 of my own photographs, not to praise them, not to, to, to defend them, just simply to say – Here's the photograph I took and here's what I attempted to do with it and here's why I believe it accomplishes that uh, that feeling. So it's that like group. a deconstruction of, of you the You deconstruct photo. it, but you can deconstruct it in a way that's not, you know, when you ask a student, tell me about this photograph and the first thing they say is, well, I like it. Well, I, mm-hmm. I don't care if you like it. Tell me about the photograph. What were you now, thinking if, when you made it? What, what, what like are the gears behind it, right? Yeah, and if you do like it, Why? Mm-hmm. Why do you like it? Because you are reacting emotionally, but you're reacting to it as something aesthetic that's baked into that photograph. So if you like it, it's because of the color temperature. It's because of the gaze of the subject matter, uh, the gesture, the, the the color, the lines, the POV. It's something in there makes you like it or a combination of all those things. Describing a photograph is, I think, I mean, it's just a way of – all I'm saying is study photography, study photographs. And we, we are so caught up in making sure that we're – you know, I mean, we know all the specs of the latest Canon 85, 1.2, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, but to be able to speak about photographs, that will improve your photography. And so that's 
the very long and now longer answer. To, so, they, uh, but that whole that whole answer goes to. I'm looking at your your Twitter page right now, and you've got gear is good, vision is better down the left side of the screen. So basically, what that's what you're saying. You know, have a vision about what you're what you're shooting, and be able to articulate what you were thinking when you shot that photo. In other words, be an artist and and an artisan at the same time, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time talking about vision over the last couple of years, and and um, I think I've been a little bit pigeonholed. You know, my friends call me Doctor Vision, which I, I think is really funny at times and irritating at others. Um, but uh, but I'm moving on a little bit because the next not not leaving vision behind, but in terms of my teaching, the next logical step is okay. You have a vision now. Let's talk about expression. Now let's talk about the visual language because vision without learning how to express it. Um, is just vision. Yeah. Right. I mean, the point of this is that we express sometimes just to ourselves. You know, I keep telling people, look, it, the first thing, the first thing that matters is that you love your photograph. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not happy with what you're doing, then nothing else matters. But, and so that's expression that you just got it out there. You know, that's the, the, the singing in the shower. But if you want to put it on stage and you want to sing to an audience, then that's communication. And both require visual language. Um, certainly different levels of ability to use that language. Um, but I really, truly believe that for me anyway, in terms of my teaching, the next step, not leaving vision behind, but is saying, okay, we've talked about vision. We've talked about how to discover it, how to hone it. Uh, let's keep that at the forefront, but now let's wrap it in. What do we do with that? How yeah. do we express and communicate that vision? And I, I've actually stopped using the word vision because people kind of go, why? Well, I, I don't know what that means or it sounds too, you know. Um, and I, so I'll interchange it with the word intention or intent because mm. I, I think that's sometimes a little more helpful. Vision's just a metaphor and not always a helpful one. So, yeah, the book is really an extension of everything I've been talking about up until now and saying, you know, vision matters. Gear, gear is kind of irrelevant, except that sometimes it's necessary to help us express that vision. Sometimes right. you really do need a 24 millimeter tilt shift. And in that case, it is necessary. And, you know, people, people have misunderstood my gear is good vision is better and going, yeah, but, but gear is still important. I'm going, I know that the first part was gear is good. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like and starting, it's starting with the image, right? You don't, you don't, you don't buy every conceivable piece of gear you can get just because you might have a vision one day. You have the vision of I would like to take a photo. Hey, I want to do models. You know, I want to take I want to take photos of models, and therefore I need this type of kit in order to accomplish that goal. And then you get the stuff and fill in the blanks, and then you take the pictures. Right? It's not the yeah. reverse. Yeah, I mean, you buy the paint that's necessary for the painting, right? Yeah. And, uh, and and I think this gear addiction, frankly, you know, I'm I'm shooting less and less, and and because of this uh, this injury, I think my next uh, within the frame adventure is in um, Cambodia and Laos, and I'm going to need to travel super light. I'm not going to be able to carry a massive backpack with D3S bodies, and and I'm thinking I'm just going to go with a Mac a MacBook Air and my uh, Fuji X100 and I'm a small tripod. That's that's and, my next gear right there. Yeah, you know yeah. what? I'm because I've been shooting my I mean photographically speaking has photographs that I made with my iPhone 4 and and I love them. I mm-hmm. they're in no way a compromise for me. And so um yes the gear is good without the the cameras but a camera's just a box with a hole in it. And so you use whatever works for you. And if you need the 800 millimeter 2.8, you know, and, and a high frame rate and all of this, then you need it. And that's fine. I mean, you're not going to do sports photography, probably, with an iPhone 4. You're sure as heck not going to do, you know, wildlife photography, generally speaking, with an iPhone. Right. 
so there are certain applications that you need the gear for, but the gear does matter. If, if we didn't have the camera and the lens, it wouldn't be photography. It would be painting or, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd be out there with a sketch pad and, and a paper. But it's the gears, it serves the vision. Anyway, that you know what, that, that sermon's been preached so many times. I think I love it. it you know, here, it, it doesn't get old, though. It doesn't get old. So let's let's transition, though, into craft and vision. So the print book, the, your fourth print book, photographically speaking, coming out mm-hmm. through Peach Pit Press, mm-hmm. who is what I've said on the show many times. To me, they're kind of like the the apple of the publishing industry in terms of doing things a little bit cleaner, crisp, and, you know, they, they cater to the creative folks, whether you're, you know, you're writing code, you're designing web pages, or you're a photographer, you're a graphic designer. They write those kind of nonfiction sort of books that feel good. You know, I'm always happy to get a Peach Pit, peach pit book. Um, but you are also the founder of a, you know, I don't want to say competing, but, it's kind of competing. Craft and Vision is also your company. And Craft and Vision specializes in digital books or ebooks on photography. So how do you reconcile that being having one foot in the atom world and the other foot in the electron world? And how does that how do you reconcile that? I think, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the word, word competing in general. I think they're very complementary uh, to each other. I think um, uh, things are changing, you know, and I can go to a place like Iceland, come back and put my work out there in the form of a book that is also a teaching book uh, within a matter of weeks and have it online uh, with very little overhead. And um, so some of the gatekeepers are falling. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. The I think it's it's only growing the the ability for people to consume um, especially things that are sort of educational and, and inspirational. I, I, I mean, I would rather read my book. I'm a fan of the Kindle, but I'd still rather read, rather read a paper book when it comes to being a novel. I just, I like the feel of it. I like the smell of it. I like to dog ear the pages and, mm-hmm. you know, fall asleep with it on my face. I just, I, it's a, it's a much more tactile experience for me. Um, however, um, the ebook, I think, or the digital book, and and at some point we're going to stop calling them ebooks and making distinctions. They're books. They're just different mediums. Yeah. You know? Yep. And uh, anyway, so I, I craft and vision is, I think, is a complementary thing. It's it's not going. I sell five dollar ebooks. You know, they're they're not competing with twenty five and forty five dollar print books. Um, and they complement each other. So for me, I have no problem producing uh, these ebooks and then going to going to peach pit and i agree with you i mean they're it when it comes to photographic publishing i love their stuff i love working with my publisher my editor is a, is now a good friend i can't imagine what i'm going to do after this fourth book i'm gonna have to write another book just because i want to keep working with ted um <laughs> i know ted's you know, great I love ted. he is he's, he's he's an amazing person i've learned a lot from from him but I, I don't see that there's a need to sort of make a decision in one way or the other which sort of surprised me when you know seth godin came out a little while ago he had a blog post that quite frankly, sounded a little angry and he was kind of done with traditional publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was only ever going to publish eBooks and, uh, from this point on. And I thought well, that's a little bit throwing, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I don't see why we can't do both. Yeah. And, um, but craft and vision is going, you know, it's going well. I've, I've just done my own, uh, actually I just finished my own, my 13th of my own books for, uh, for craft and vision. And, and we're growing this library of, of really great resources that people can buy, for an incredibly low price. I mean, I we barely. I mean, on the on the website we say five dollars, and we talk about how you know it's the it's uh, cheaper than a than a 
a latte and it won't leave you gassy and bloaty at the end. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, you know what? We barely sell them. We hardly ever sell them for $5. We've always got discounts going on and specials. And, and it is so much fun. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much fun it is to create this stuff, to have a community that, that we interact with. And, uh, and every time we get a new author on that has something that they're passionate about to, to create a book for them, with them, and then to put it out in the world and see it responded to is, it's just, it's so much fun. I had no idea what I was getting into. I never imagined that I would be a publisher. I had no intention. Um, but that's the thing about uh, about this, you know, this new world. I mean, this is as revolutionary as the invention of the printing press. The fact that people, whatever, really whatever meeting, medium they're in, they can, they can write a book, they can create an album. I mean, we've seen people create whole movies just with iMovie, you yeah, know, and, yep. and you can put this stuff out there. So as creatives, forget the commerce side, as creatives, the ability to create and share your work is, I mean, more people, and, and this is going to, I hope it doesn't sound really, you know, inflated, but more people will see my work in my lifetime than, than ever saw Shakespeare's work in his lifetime. Yeah. Now, will I ever catch up with Shakespeare? That's kind of doubtful. But in, just in the span of a lifetime, more people will see our stuff than ever in history. I mean, it's, it's astonishing how – and if what you do in terms of creation is, of course, primarily for yourself, but if you want to have an audience, if you want to show the world and say, hey, look at this, this is the way I see the world – um, then to be able to put it in front of as many eyes as possible is really an amazing thing. It's just, it's astonishing. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about the the business side of craft and vision, and you know, and sort of weaving it into the accident. And you know, you, it's kind of well known that you're nomadic, right? You don't have a physical email address, or you have a physical email address, which is not physical, I guess. But you have you don't have a physical snail mail. This is where you know I I own this piece of real estate on purpose, right? So you're you're kind of I have a license plate number. You have a license plate number. So and you're yet you're operating a full on profitable, successful business in craft and vision, mm-hmm. but it's distributed. How is it structured? How how do you get all this stuff done? And how are you so how are you so productive considering what went on with the accident and you don't have a physical location to hang your hat? How how does that work? I have a secret weapon. <laughs> oh, here we I, go. I, I get do. your pins I, ready, everybody. What is it? I, I, I my secret weapon is my manager, um, uh, who also happens to be my best friend. His name's Corwin, and um, you know, even, even when the accident happened, you know, the first thing that that happened after the after the ambulance was called was was Corwin got called, and Corwin was the one that you know called my uh, called Medgetasis that was the ones that evacuated me. Corwin was the one that called my medical travel medical uh, insurance company called my my mother uh corwin is the one that you know that deals with all of the you know what i call on the ground stuff with the company and so i can be off photographing and writing and doing the work of creation um that i do because that's my job in the company my job in the company is to tweet to blog to stay in touch with the community uh, to be sort of the chief creative officer of the company Mm -hmm. and corwin's job is to is to kind of manage that and keep me on track and so uh, creatives are just so notorious for this lone ranger mentality Mm -hmm. and um, (laughs) as soon as i possibly could i've been Corwin and I have been doing things collaboratively for a long time, usually just kind of in a, in a friendly, we started this thing called the think and drink. And, uh, a couple of times a year we would get together. We'd usually, uh, we'd stay in town, but we'd, we'd, uh, get a hotel room and we would literally 
like sequester ourselves and we would present PowerPoint presentations to each other. We would talk about the plans for the next six months. Then we'd go out for, for a nice meal and have a couple drinks and we'd come back and we'd switch roles and he would do a presentation for me and we would talk and we'd hash these things through because he has a skill set that I don't. I have a skill set he doesn't. And, uh, and so eventually it sort of, it became a little bit more um, about the things that I was doing and he just began to kind of take some of those roles on. And one day it was like, uh, I guess, I guess you're my manager. You know I mean? He just, he was doing, he was responding to my email. He was doing a lot of this stuff that I just simply didn't have time to do. And more to the point, wasn't as good at, you know, as, as a creative person, I like to think I can do everything, but Corwin does things exceptionally that I can only do well. Yeah. And I think that's really, really key. And, and I am not scalable. I could not be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for Corwin. And the same thing applies to everyone. If you're doing your, you're doing your own bookkeeping, stop. Hire a bookkeeper. Unless you're a trained accountant you know, that's wanting to be a photographer and you just like doing, stop it. Give it to someone who is going to do it better than you, probably save you some money, and free up that time to go and shoot. Yeah. Free up that time to do the thing that you love. And I'm not suggesting everyone needs to immediately outsource, but my gosh, you know, there are people out there that would love to do your book- bookkeeping for you and will do it um, at a reasonable price and free up time. People talk about time being money. Time is not money. Time is far more valuable than money. Yes, it is. So yep. free up that time and go and do the work that you know, that you need to do. And so you baby steps, right? I mean, I didn't just hire Corwin and give him full time. I he still doesn't work full time for me. Um, I, I should backtrack. He still doesn't get paid full time <laughs> for me. Uh, I mean, he just, it, he literally holds my, holds my world together. But, you know, we started small. We started with him working a couple hours a week and just helping me with one task and another. And soon I realized he could be doing this and he could be doing that. And eventually, you know, I, I hired other people that are, so I'm now, I started with Craft and Vision doing my own layouts. Uh, in fact, that's how the whole thing started. I thought, I got to learn how to use InDesign. I'm going to create an ebook. I remember that, yeah. Right? And so, well, I, I can't create as well as other people. I mean, there are graphic designers now that, I mean, there always have been, that are much better than I am. Now I can afford to, and I so we pass it off. So when the book's, you know, done-ish in, in terms of the, photo, the photographs and the, the images, they go to a layout guy. So we've got a layout guy that does our work copy editing someone does the copy editing someone does the social media for for craft and vision not my own stuff i do all my own stuff but for craft and vision someone uh, manages that and you hire people that are exceptionally good at what they do and bit by bit you know it becomes that's the only way any of this stuff becomes scalable because you just can't do it yeah you, you 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 build processes right you know i was thinking about i was looking at my house i was like there's um, there's a bunch of different processes that go together to make the thing operational. There's the air conditioning, there's the washer and dryer, there's the refrigeration, there's the stove, there's the bathroom, plumbing, all these different things that need to work flawlessly, and but they're autonomous of each other. So they all need to work when I ask for them to work, but they're separate. And the same thing with business, right? you got to have these different pieces of the business that can work autonomously get everything done, but you're the one guy that ties everything together. Or in your case, Corbin is the one guy that ties everything together, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I tie it together and I, um, 
you know, and he just does the work <laughs> behind <laughs> behind it. I mean, we've just delineated tasks. But the thing is, I know there are people out there going, oh, well, that's all well and good. You've already got a, a successful company. But the thing is, it's become more and more successful as it has become, we've been able to scale it up. Yeah. And so we started small. I, I never did my own bookkeeping because numbers and I never got along well. But that was literally the only thing I outtask, outsourced. Everything else I learned to do myself. I learned to do some design. I learned to do my marketing. And that eventually when I could pass it off. Now at least I understand marketing, understand yeah. design. So when my designer comes to me, I, I at least have some language to communicate with him and say, actually, I'd rather it be this way or, or you know, or this way or, or whatever. Um, so you start small. At, at the beginning of, of this, you do everything. You wash your floors, you, you know, you clean the cameras. And, yeah. But eventually, as you can, you hire and you make sacrifices to do it. You know, it's not like money's there's no spare money. It's not just floating around. Mm-hmm. You just think, I'm going to put, put my money into paying a bookkeeper right now instead of buying that new, you know, 1.2 lens instead of a 1.4 lens. You, yeah. you make decisions and priorities and you know, people say, well, you got to spend money to make money. You do. But that usually doesn't apply to, I'm going to buy a new 85 1.2. It means y- you need to update your website and get that Comic Sans font off of there. You need to, <laughs> you know, seriously. I mean, you know, photographers are visual communicators. I was talking to Tamara Lackey the other day about exactly the same thing, where photographers are visual communicators. And so many of us have the worst business cards. We have the worst websites. And yet they're saving money to go and spend it on an 85 1.2, thinking it's a, quote, money lens. Well, but I can guarantee you a better website will make you more money. It may not be as sexy. It, you can't show it off at the camera club and, and people will still look at you with your camera and your, you know, your, your 85 1.8 and snicker. Oh, my gosh, he's only got an 85 1.8. <laughs> but you know what? You want to impress people? Impress them with your work. Yeah. Don't worry about your gear. Stop spending it on the gear. Spend it on things that actually matter. And that might be hiring a bookkeeper. It might be spending money. I mean, it hurts to spend a good chunk of money on a designer to build a website. It's like, well, all I'm getting is a website and I don't even get a sexy lens out of it. There's no carbon fiber involved. Yeah. Let the website make the money for you and then buy the carbon fiber or don't, you know, I mean, if you don't, didn't need it up to this point, maybe you really don't actually need it. Well, David, I, I tweeted out that we were chatting, um, at the beginning here and I've been watching the questions roll in. Um, so let's take a couple of them. So the first one is from, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name. I know it. Walid Al-Zuhar or Al-Zuhair. He wants to know, he says, um, I kindly like to know more about IGVP. I registered but got confused. Thanks. I have no idea what that is. Hopefully you do. Well, I, yeah, I do. Um, IGVP stands for the International Guild of Visual Peacemakers. And um, it would actually take sort of a long time to explain uh, what it's about. But basically, it's a forum for people that have a shared uh, ethic and belief that photography can can change the world, that we can tell stories uh, about people in other cultures that will uh, overcome stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, as a Westerner, I go into a, a Muslim culture and tell a story about my interaction uh, with these people, um, in a way that's you know that's positive and and so on, um, I become a force of change. My photography can tell those stories, um, and rather than photography simply just being uh, about pretty pictures, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, beauty is something we hunger for, but to be able to tell stories that. 
um, transcend stereotypes and that sort of thing. One of the things I'm most hoping I can do is when I go into rehab, the center that I am, uh, that I've been accepted into does a lot of rehab with uh, Canadian soldiers that have just come home from Afghanistan, uh, many of whom are recovering because they've lost limbs to, you know, to IEDs and that sort of thing, roadside bombs. And, uh, and I'm going to bring my camera in and I'm hoping I can get permission to photograph some of, some of this recovery because I'm experiencing the same thing. Uh, different causes, and clearly I've still got my limbs, but I think to photograph recovery from the point of someone who is recovery, I think makes the story even stronger. And so um, IGVP is simply a platform to uh, to tell those stories and to hear those stories. Now, is that is that a service that you founded, or are you are you a member? How are you involved? No, in it's it? uh, I, I'm in I'm involved um, in a sort of advising capacity. I believe I'm still on the board. Um, uh, it's just something that I just really strongly believe in. I'm also involved in a group called Focus for Humanity, um, which has also got very similar goals. The idea that storytelling can be a good force. I mean, it's why people do journalism, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just maybe it's closer to the it's closer to citizen journalism in the sense that we're not writing for papers and we're not even telling hard news. We're simply telling stories uh, about people. You know, it's the it's the human interest stories that, that always end up at the back of the the paper or at the end of the newscast um, and we're putting them first and foremost and saying these stories matter stories about you know women in afghanistan matter stories about uh, you name it you know stories about people that have done extraordinary things uh, matter yeah well here's another question that this one comes in from a good friend of mine Topher martini he wants to switch gears and talk about some technology so he wants to know about uh your thoughts on EPUB 2 versus EPUB 3, PDF 1.7, HTML5, mobile apps, etc. So just an acronym soup of formats. In other words, do, do you care? Let, let me put a finer point on it. Um, for your craft and vision, ebook work, d- which format is better and, and does it matter? Um, you know, I'm not going to touch. I'm not even going to touch that in terms of better. Uh, we have intentionally decided to go with PDFs. Um, I don't, frankly, like EPUB. I don't know the difference between EPUB two and EPUB. I didn't even know there was a two and a three. I just thought <laughs> it was EPUB. I mean, it, but it, we made intentional decisions because I wanted these books to be inspiring. I wanted them to look a certain way. I believe the aesthetic is important, and I don't like EPUB now. Maybe it has changed, but I didn't like what EPUB was. Basically, just you know HTML. It was just, it made the books look horrible. Yeah, they, it, it reduced the photographs simply to illustration, and uh, and the text simply. And I wanted the, these books to look beautiful and to be inspiring and and to be more like a, a magazine than just purely information. So at the beginning, we just decided we're not going to touch any of those kind of formats. We're simply, especially you know, with the iPad and uh, putting them out as, as PDFs would be the way that we do it. And what we liked about the PDF is we've chosen to to put it out completely free of digital rights management so that people can put it on, they can put it on 10 computers if they want. Whereas while we do produce these as apps, um, I would frankly would rather see people buy the, the PDFs. The apps are great. They look great. They function Excuse me, they function extremely well. Um, but, you know, Apple takes their chunk, and, and then at the end of the day, it, it's digital rights management. And I just, as someone who wants to create and share this stuff, 
I just, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty, uh, I, it's not like I have a bone to pick with it. I'm just so indifferent, you know, and when it comes to someone pays for a PDF, they should be able to put it on whatever machine they want and as many machines as they want. And frankly, I'm not opposed to them saying, hey, you know, I just got this great ebook um, and I know my friend would benefit from it. I think I'll email him a copy. Mm-hmm. Great. You know what? E- consider it my permission. Email a copy of my my PDF to your friend because eventually that friend's going to go. Hey, you know what? These are great books. I'll buy my own. They're four dollars for crying out loud. You know what? I it's almost not even worth I, the effort to steal. I almost heard Corwin slap his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's well, like, "What are you doing to me here, David?" <laughs> the thing is, this stuff. You know, not to get karmic. You know, but this stuff comes back. You know, if you give and if you're generous and if you're kind and you don't. You know, this whole walled garden that Apple's all about. I just I don't buy into it. Life's too short, and I think generosity always comes back and we're the same way if, if someone writes into us and goes you know what i ordered your i ordered this pdf and then my computer crashed and i can't find it we're not going to say hey you know what suck it up go, go buy another one it probably cost me more in customer service to pay customer service to deal with this and give them a free pdf or to reinstate i, I just will send them a new pdf you know it's yeah. it just it, it comes back to the fact is life is short and people are far more important than, you know, than all of this other stuff. And so uh, as far as all of the technology stuff, I just I simply lost interest. We picked PDF and we kind of went, all right, this is what we'll do. And we will do some apps. The amount of people buying our apps is is insignificant compared to the PDFs. Um, I think the one people buying apps, you know, they really have bought into the iPad platform and, and that's great. But the PDFs read great on the iPad, too. The PDF then you can also put it on your laptop or your PC or, yep. or whatever. And so we've just chosen to stick with, basically stick with one format. So Cody wants to know when you see yourself settling down and getting a fixed address, maybe even a cable TV and a landline. Uh, I haven't had a landline for <laughs> seven or eight years. And I don't Same here. <laughs> I'll ever have a, another landline ever again, nor for that matter, cable TV. And I'm not, I'm not even going to get into the sermon, but um, I believe television, generally speaking, is just the biggest soul-sucking waste of time. It's a black hole. And if every creative turned off their television and did their work, they would be better at their work. They would enjoy their work more and they would stop saying, I don't have time. If only I had, you know, time to do it. Now, there, I, that's not to say I haven't watched television. I mean, once in a while I'll buy a season of House or, or Dexter or something um, and I'll watch, but I'm very selective about it and, um, and I turn it off, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in answer to the question about the telephone line, never. The television also probably never. Uh, and honestly, the other stuff, I don't know. I mean, I, am, I have never been so content Frederick, this whole nomadic thing. I mean, I've spent the last couple of years with nomads, and um, the the whole uh, so much of the nomadic culture on this planet is desperately, desperately poor. So I, I don't mean at all to uh, romanticize that. Uh, and a lot of my work is in advocacy for these groups through you know people like Boma Project and World Vision and Save the Children. And you know they work among among other people, nomads. And but there's something about the uh, lack of possessions. Now, I still have plenty of possessions, but relatively, I mean, I gave away practically everything. I, you know, I've got whatever fits in the back of my Defender and some boxes of books in my storage locker. Um, the ability for me to wake up every morning and go, first of all, to wake up, open the tent. I have a 
tent on top of my defender and open that and and look out over Monument Valley or uh, the Florida Everglades or wherever it is that I'm camping and feel the weather and smell the smells and hear the bird song. I mean, to me, that is just so freeing. And I haven't been this content for I don't know how long. I am, you know, I know I, people are I bet people are in cubicles all over the world, like listening to this at work, thinking like, oh, man, I wish I could do that. Exactly. And, you know, and yet it does come at a cost. I do not have I do not have the condo that I had. I don't own a couch. I don't have a bed. I don't have, you know. In fact, when the uh, one of the doctors at the Italian hospital said, you're going to be in bed for three months. And I wasn't thinking totally clearly, <laughs> Frederick. My first thought is, I've got broken feet. How am I going to climb eight feet up and sleep, in, sleep on top of my truck for three months? <laughs> Oh you know, God. I was just like, I can't do it. I'm going to have to come up with a different plan. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you, you make choices. And, and so will I eventually? Yeah, probably I will. I mean, probably uh, there will be a settling down. I love, um, you know, when I've had a home, uh, that space has been sacred to me. And I love, I love having a place that is mine that I can create and that I can um, extend hospitality to people. And, but for now, for this stage of my life, I see myself on the road for the next couple of years. I'd like to, uh, after this next year is up, this whole thing went kind of sideways with me breaking my feet. So, um, I was meant to travel, um, a big circle around North America during 2011. Clearly that's not gone to plan. So, uh, and then I was planning to go to Europe and do a year in Europe. I'm just going to extend that, and I'm going to spend all of 2012 and uh, and go back and see some of the places I missed. And I'm just going to spend a little more time in North America. But then eventually I do. I want to either ship the truck over to Europe or or buy a truck in Europe and uh, and drive around Europe. And the amazing thing is once you're in Europe, I mean, I can drive to Istanbul. I can drive to Morocco and spend time in the Sahara. I mean, once you're in Europe, I mean, <laughs> where can't you go? I'll drive to Denmark and I'll take the ferry to Iceland. And I've got all kinds of ideas about just seeing this world and meeting people and so i'll just kind of keep going until it feels like it's time to settle down yeah maybe you'll you'll find some place that's like oh you know what this is home i kind of want to stay here you know and 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 maybe and maybe i will and maybe you know what maybe it will be temporary and i mean vancouver for me is still home but you know what this whole thing is done for me i was in portofino uh in italy and i was uh I was kind of walking around. I went into the store and in big letters on one of the walls, it says, it said, home is not a place. It is people. Mm-hmm. And it just, this was, you know, kind of, I mean, this was like a couple of days before I fell off this wall. Um, so I was in the, what I thought was the middle of this, you know, or the beginning of this nomadic adventure. And it just, it resonated so strongly with me that f- for me, really, truly home is not a place. It's people. And I'm loving it. I love that every morning I can wake up and go, where am I going to go today? Or do I want to stay here? What do I want to photograph? What, and, and some of the tasks, uh, the really important things get pushed to the front. You got to get something to eat. You got to put, you know, you got to make sure the fridge works or put ice in the cooler. You've got to make sure you've got enough, you know, whatever. You, and, and then you got to take care of business. And then you've got to, every meal takes a little longer. And have you got enough propane? And, you know, um, everything becomes, all those tasks become much more vital. And, it was amazing. I mean, I just, I absolutely loved it. The, the, everything slowed down for me and, um, I have no desire to see that change. I, I don't want to go back to, you know, the rat race. Um, and I drive the truck into the, into cities like Dallas. I drove into Dallas and I just, like I, 
I just, my head almost exploded. <laughs> sensory, Every, sensory overload. Oh my gosh, everything was so loud and so fast. And I got to tell you, you know, I have a beautiful truck. I love my Land Rover, but she does not go fast. I mean, <laughs> if I can get her up to 60, it's because I'm going downhill on a tailwind. I mean, it's, she's not a fast vehicle. She gets incredible fuel economy. She's a, it's a, a diesel truck and, but we don't go anywhere fast and it's a right hand drive. So it was imported from Europe. And so, you know, merging onto these, you know, incredibly fast interstates like San Francisco and I just, <laughs> just, I just like I just want to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, it's it really truly has changed my life. So again, long long answer to a question, but I have no intention right now of of predicting that because for so much of my life I've said I can't wait until uh, I can't wait until I do this. I can't wait until I do that. And to project forward and say, you know what, three years from now I think I'll planning's just guessing. And yeah. right now I'd really rather just spend all my energy and attention in the moment and just go today i will tomorrow maybe i will and then that's as far as i go love it let's take one more i'm going to take one more question from twitter uh this one is from jody fraser she says uh josie fraser uh she says david's blog on his expedition gear is awesome ask about the kit and where and when he plans to travel so, and I wanted to maybe add on to that, just your workshops in general. I know you're going to be kicking those back up. Where, where are you going to go next for those and all that good stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll answer that one in a second. In answer to Josie's question, I, that's funny. I, I posted very reluctantly. I posted this, uh, this post on my blog. Actually, I think I posted it this morning about kind of some of the, some of the things that haven't worked on the trip. You know, I left Vancouver in a bit of a hurry. There were last minute issues with the truck, like, oh, for example, the transmission blew up. Um, yeah, that would so, be an issue. <laughs> you know, there were, so there were some decisions that I made in terms of my gear, uh, not photography, but camping stuff um, that were kind of, you know, I like ran into Canadian Tire. I'm like, I just need a burner, a two burner stove. Give me any stove. And so anyway, I wrote this blog post that sort of updated people on, you know, on some of the things. And um, so I'm really excited. I, you know, I've got some new cases and I've got a new stove and um, I finally got a, a medical kit that um, that can practically do anything. The thing about a medical kit that makes me laugh is, you know, I, I joke that had I had this when I fell off the wall, I would have been doing okay, but I'm never going to be carrying the medical kit when I fall off a wall. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's more, it's more a case of if something happens and I, you know, um, while I'm driving and, uh, but what I'm really excited about it, there's a couple pieces. One is, um, this company called goal zero, um, and it's all solar and they've created some amazing products that will allow me to, you know, to camp in the middle of nowhere and assuming it's not completely raining and overcast and, and, uh, you know, no sun whatsoever. It'll allow me to run my laptops and charge my lights and that sort of thing. And, um, so I've got these solar panels from goal zero, which I'm really excited because, you know, when you're driving around the country, I, I want to be as sustainable as I can. Um, but what's funny, Frederick, is that in order to kind of fit all of this stuff in the truck, which is, you know, it's a, it's not a big truck when it all comes down to it. Um, I'm going to have to start making decisions about which photographic gear I leave behind. And I'm really excited about it because I find the more, sorry, the less gear that I shoot with, the less gear that I have with me, uh, the less choices I have and the more easy I find it to be creative. So, you know, some of my stuff will stay here at my parents' place and we'll find a place to just kind of tuck it away and store it. And part of that will be my photographic gear and I'll start traveling a little bit more lightly. And I'm really excited about where that used to terrify me. 
Um, pretty excited. Now, what gear I'm going to leave behind, I have no idea, and I'm not committing to because I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> leave it all time. behind and just bring your iPhone. That's just all you need. Just take my iPhone. That's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of the within the frame photographic adventures, we've we've got a we sell these out very quickly. The this year's are all sold out, but we're going to Laos and Cambodia in September. Uh, in October, we're going to Oaxaca, Mexico for the Day of the Dead celebrations. Um, I'm finishing the year on someone else's workshop. I'm going with um, Seth Resnick and uh, Andy Biggs and JP Cavanegro to Antarctica, which I'm very excited about. Oh, very cool! Uh, yeah, really excited because I've always wanted I've always wanted to you know to travel and photograph on all seven continents, and then I will come home and turn 40. So it's kind of like okay, you know, that wraps up the year. Yeah. And then January we go to northern Ethiopia. Um, and we are spending Orthodox Christmas in uh, a town called Lalabella, which is northern Ethiopia and incredibly historic, incredibly um, traditional. Pilgrims come from from hundreds of miles away, many of them walking for weeks to get there. It's just it's an extraordinary place filled with these churches literally hewn out of this this rock. Um, not like not like Petra in Jordan, where it's like hewn out of the side of a cliff this stuff's like dug down and then hewn out of the resulting kind of pillar of rock in the middle like it's really extraordinary stuff um and i spent orthodox christmas there a number of years ago and it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life so we're doing that with with a team of uh i think eight or nine people uh there's one spot left on that and then from there jeffrey and i are going to the masai mara in kenya and we're doing masai mara within the frame and it'll be a 10-day a bit of a higher-end safari workshop where we'll spend uh, more of our time in just two game camps, and we'll spend the mornings and the evenings in you know the nice light, going out and photographing the animals, and then in the middle of the day we spend time talking about photography and working on photographs and and working on our, the, the craft of you know photography. So that's kind of the beginning of the year, and then we've got Italy again and, and Croatia and the, Jeez. The, oh yeah, it's it's really rough. I know it's rough, and then at the end of the year, I, <laughs> I always I, feel so bad about my life after I talk to you. I don't know. You know, why. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we're uh, we're not going. We're going to uh, Duluth. That's where we're going. There we uh, go. Uh, at the end of the year, I think we're going to uh, not to uh, give out too many details, but I think we're going to Nepal, and I think we're doing one in Burma, um, which I'm pretty excited about. So, uh, so we've got you know we've got our year kind of cut out for us. One of the one of the trips that I didn't get to go on this year, everyone else got to go on it, but uh, I was in the hospital. Was uh, Croatia? We chartered a 50 foot sailboat uh, and photographed uh, as we sailed down the coast of Croatia, and. Um, I was so excited about it. I bought sailing gloves, and the only thing I use those sailing gloves now for is crawling on the ground, so, <laughs> or, or to you know to use for my wheelchair. That's um, awesome. So you know, I'm thankfully I've got those sailing gloves, but uh, I plan to use those to sail this uh, this coming year. But so we've got a number of those workshops, and people can kind of find out about those through my blog. But they do they go very quickly. I mean, it's very rare that um, if if we have any space, it's it's rare that it's more than like one one spot left you know after yeah. even a couple hours they fill up pretty quick because we we have pretty small groups and a lot of the people that come on them are, are returning you know we have alumni that just come back to these trips time and time again so yeah uh, i think i think that's good i mean you know it says we're doing something right so i want to be respectful of your time and thanks so much for for like pulling up skype and let me let me pepper you with questions where oh gosh my, my pleasure this is this has been awesome and it's really good to catch up with you um where are so for the folks that want to know about all these different facets of David, you know the craft and vision, the workshops, the book, all the stuff that you got going on. Where was it? Was a good locations or location or locations for them to go check out? You know, really, the best place to go is just straight to straight to the website. Go to pixelated image. 
com, and uh, from there there's a link to, to my work there's a link to the blog there's a link to um, workshops that's going to be changed to adventures because like I said they're not they're not really workshops in the sense that we encourage people to put their tripods in other people's tripod holes yeah um, we're, we're much more of an adventure we're much more organic and that sort of thing um, and then uh, I mean even there I think there's a link to books that'll take you to craft and vision but the craft and visions on its own site craftandvision.com um, but you can get uh, you can get through to all of that through pixelatedimage.com. Excellent. Well, David, thanks so much for for taking time out of your day to chat with me and My this pleasure. week in photo audience. This is uh, always, as always, been inspirational and a little bit depressing <laughs> hearing about <laughs> hearing about where you're going over the next hey man, year can, or so. <laughs> you can buy a plane ticket too. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I got to do. In fact, it. come on, come on, one of these workshops. Come to Lollabella. We still got one spot open. You know what? I you know why not? When when are you going? Uh, I believe Orthodox Christmas falls around the 6th or the 7th of January, so it's the first two weeks of January-ish. I will buy a ticket. I'm going. I'd love it. Cool. All right, David, thanks so much again. My pleasure. Thanks and so much, Frederick. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was photographer David Dushman. Uh, we'll put links to the vis- his various endeavors and projects in the show notes, but for those listening while away from your computer, you can head over to pixelatedimage.com. That's P-I-X-E-L, pixelatedimage.com, or craftandvision.com. Or if you want to check out his adventures, the photographic adventures, you just go over to his blog and search for adventures, and I think he's got one. Um, just Google Google pixelated image uh, or David Dushman and workshops, and you'll you'll get the link. But we'll put everything in the uh, in the show notes for this episode. All right, guys, it is time for some listener Q and A. This is a segment where our guests answer questions that have come in from our audience via Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, etc. And the first one is from Jack Label. He writes. Can I make a 360-degree VR picture with my DSLR with a 35-millimeter lens? Uh, What software do I need to create and see the 360-degree picture? Sil, I'm going to throw it to you first. You're like, (laughs) oh, of course he would throw it to me. (laughs) That's okay. You don't don't know this, but I was an early adopter of uh, the Gigapan, which came out, I think it came out of Cornell's tech lab um but anyway gigapan has through the last several years has actually become a mainstream commercial product and it's basically a robot to which you mount a camera and they make a couple different models there's a smaller one for point and shoot cameras and they now have an epic sized version you can put your full-on dslr onto and basically you program this thing and you say how many um how far do I want it to go horizontally? How far do I want it to go vertically? It's a pretty simple user interface. And it's got a mechanism that literally pushes your shutter button, moves the camera the right amount that it calculated, pushes the shutter button until it finishes. And then Gigapan software can stitch these things together. So um, it's pretty amazing. A lot of people, when they think of virtual reality, they're thinking, oh, I want to be able to go in and do, you know, like those real estate home tours yeah. that kind of make you vomit as the camera like rolls around <laughs> the corner of the room. Um, so if that's what he's asking about, I don't know. I don't have any, any experience with that other than it truly is one of the few things that gives me motion sickness. But, um, Gigapan itself, uh, is really, really a cool, cool way to do 360 degree panoramas. Awesome. What about you, Tristan? You have any experience with 360 degree panoramic photography? 
I don't. Um, the Sonys have sweet panoramic mode, and that um, is about as far as, as uh, I get with panoramics, I must be honest. Um, I, I did look up a little bit of information around it, and um, one of the pieces of software that came out as an open source software, which was uh, seemed to be quite highly recommended, was AutoStitch. Um, which is something that could be looked into for um, a way of, of creating 360-degree panoramics. Um, and there are one or two interesting um, sites around it. The VR perspective changes things, obviously, a little bit as well. So, you know, there's um, you've got to look at also what you use to play back that, that with, and that will depend on, on what your final outcome is going to be. Are you wanting to play it out on a screen or as a presentation, or do you want it on your website? Um, and there's various different solutions for, for those areas. But uh, personal experience, um, I must be honest, I, I wanted to play a little bit with it, but uh, we've been in deadline week, so I just haven't had a chance to do so. It's, uh, um, and yeah, the gigapans, from what I can see, are fantastic. I just wish we could get some here in South Africa yeah. uh, to play with because they would be very – I think then we'd, we'd have a, a weekend project every weekend to go out and, and play with the gigapan because um, there's some great landscapes in that out here as well that we could we could shoot with. But um, that would be my best, uh, my best suggestion is check out stuff like AutoStitch um, and, you know, they've got some tutorials and stuff around that that one can look in as well. Yeah, absolutely, great advice. And I would, I would, you know, it seems it seems uh, obvious, but definitely just type in Panorama software into Google. I just did it while you guys were talking, and there's a list of things in there, uh, pieces of software that will do this for you. Plus, um, if you just want to stitch things, Photoshop will do that, you know, in a blink. Mm-hmm. And so will Photoshop Elements. We'll stitch photography together. Auto stitch, like you mentioned, Tristan is also. I think it's. I don't know if it's the same app that you're referring to, but there's one on the iPhone that I use from time to time that lets you almost do, so it almost lets you do the gigapan type thing where you, you take a grid of images. You can mm-hmm. stand in one spot and mm-hmm. just, you know, shoot five over and three down and say, stitch these images and it'll make one big picture for you out of it. Um, so there's, there's tons of, of things out there to let you stitch images together. Mm-hmm. Viewing them, I, I think I know what he's talking about. Back in the day, there were, you know, these different viewers that you could lo- download basically plugins that let you step into the image and look around in 360 degrees mm-hmm. and click on nodal points and, or click on points within the image to move in that direction. Kind of like uh, Google Street View. Um, yes. But uh, I'm not familiar, uh, you know, I, I don't know who's doing that and other than like what Sil was saying, you know, the real yeah, estate Gigapan agents. Yeah, Gigapan does that. <laughs> Gigapan will let you walk around yeah. in the image? Yeah, and you know, it, um, do you remember the shot Frederick of um, Obama's inauguration that yeah. was taken, w- and you could zoom. That's a gigapan image. The guy, you know, stitched together like 150 images. I think it was off of a G10. And the po- the point is, you take all these high res raw images and stitch them together, and then if you want to zoom in and look at you know at any little bit of detail, um, so you can do that online. I think it, there was also I'm going to say it's like. 360cities.net maybe is another site for where people upload these gigapan panoramas of various cities around the around the world. Yep. So and it is 360cities.net. Okay. Um, I'm looking at it right now. We'll link to this in the show notes. Very cool. Good info. All right. Question number two uh, that we're going to get to is from. Let's see, Mark Weisenberger, he says, here's something that he and his friends struggle with. 
the his images look one way in a camera and another way, and they look different in Photoshop Raw, and then a different way in Canon's processing software, and yet another way when they're done editing. He's calibrated his laptop, and he uses the Canon software out of the box to work the Raw, then in Photoshop for fur- further editing. And he's, you know, he's just trying to understand how you get things to look consistent or at least calibrated across all these different things. So, uh, Sil, what, what do you think? How do, how do you keep, because you, you've got images that you shoot and then you bring them into software and then they have to look like you want them to look when, you, when they go into your books and that sort of thing. How do you keep your color consistent all the way through the chain? Yeah, well, the short, the short answer to that book question, everything that gets printed, you know, in a magazine or a book goes out into the CMYK color space. Um, and that has to go into Photoshop. And so when I did Speedlighter's handbook, those <coughs> whatever images um, all made a trip into Photoshop. And it's frankly one of the very few reasons why I, I still use Photoshop is to do those CMYK conversions. But hey, answer answer. I don't. I never realized is Lightroom not does not Lightroom not use color profiles, Frederick? Uh, it does but not in the way he's thinking i have to i have to dive in there but no for like if you're printing you can assign a color profile and say okay i'm printing right, to my Epson. profile right yeah yeah but yeah it's not no you can't not on the screen you can't calibrate on the screen like you can in photoshop well i i think that's a different issue i think you know profiling and calibration is something you do externally and you know in the case of my max i mean i write out an icc profile um, you know, and there's you know you can use Color Monkey, you can use the Spider, you can. There's very high level things like that. I mean, you need to be doing that, and um, and you also, frankly, in my view, for color work, you've got to get a decent monitor. Um, I don't care what laptop you're using; they all have a far more limited gamut and a far more limited contrast and brightness range than a good desktop monitor. So, if you're going to be serious about color work, you got to get a good monitor. Yeah, which which monitor are you using? So, I use. Um, I gotta look. <laughs> I, ha- I I'm fond of, I'm fond of the NECs, and this monitor here is. Um, I have. Uh, let's see, it's the the twenty ninety UXI, which. Guys who are color geeks and say, "Oh, it's time for Sil to upgrade," and that's absolutely <laughs> true. I was gonna say, I've never. Uh, I have no, no idea. This, this monitor is three years old, um, but I do I do keep it. I do profile it. Yeah. When I'm doing serious color work, and that way, I know that when I send out my images, they're going to go with the color info, so that we get a pretty close match on the other end. And it doesn't need to be all that bright, right? Because you're working in a cave anyway, so it's, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, one thing he he uh, Mark addresses a couple of other things. I just want to jump in. Yeah. Um, so he says, "Let's see." Wait, so he looks at. Um, he looks at the image on the back of his camera, and that looks different than it does in the Canon software. Well, on the back of the camera, those images are just, even if you're shooting raw, those images are basically quick JPEGs that the camera creates. And, you know, depending upon the brightness level of your camera's LCD, your image can look totally whacked and be a beautiful file, or it can look like a beautiful mm. file on your camera and, and truly be totally whacked. Um, so I never use my camera's LCD for anything other than to make lighting decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, you know, as for the Canon, if he's using um, Canon's Digital Photo Pro, yeah, that renders RAW differently than Lightroom will. So, you know, it's, I'd say take a couple big deep breaths. <laughs> and 
get used to it. Welcome to digital photography. Yeah. 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 I find many different types of software render the rules differently. It's, um, I mean, I used to, I've been working in Lightroom a bit recently, but I also used to use uh, Capture One, which is what the Phase One digital backs use and um, a lot of the, the, the pro studios use for doing their tethered work and that on, on medium format stuff. Um, and, I mean, you could you could take the same raw file from the same camera through both programs and get very different looking images on screen. Um, it's all about the way it in, interprets that information. I find um, uh, uh, what what matters is that when you get the output, it's what you want it to be. Um, just my two cents worth. Excellent. But that's been my experience. All right. Well, good. All right. Let's uh, let's press on and get into the picks of the week. This is the uh, the time on the show where. Each of our guests gives a pick, and this can be software, hardware, gear, a workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to taking photos or photography. Sil, what is your pick of the week? Okay, so I'm, I've, got, I've got two, and they're actually related. I'm going to give a huge shout, a huge endorsement. I already did a little bit earlier to my new best friend, uh, the Canon PowerShot S95. Um, this is an amazing little camera. But the other thing I want to do, if you shoot pocket cameras, uh, if you shoot the G-Series or these cameras or Nikon series, head over to LensMateOnline.com. Um, LensMateOnline is an outfit that sells add-ons for these little point-and-shoots. For instance, one of the challenges of the S95 is that if you're in a situation where you want to use a polarizing filter or a neutral density filter, there's really no way to directly attach it to the camera. And they've got systems that are actually pretty ingenious, um, as well as a very cool little grip that I actually recently bought. I haven't affixed it to my S95 yet. But it gives you that little fingertip ledge that you really wish these small cameras often had. Um, so I'm going to totally uh, deck out. I'm going to I'm going to mod my S95 and then blog about it. Um, but lens made online, regardless of what small pocket cam you shoot, they probably have some cool accessories, particularly in the area of being able to use filters with your little camera. Very cool. All right, all right, Tristan Hall. What is your pick of the week? Um, I'm very excited about this. It's the Samsung Galaxy S2. It's just being alternative again. Uh, um, I know. I know. It, Is that a it's car? <laughs> it's a new hybrid car, isn't it, Tristan? Okay. <laughs> sorry. It's it's a it's the the new super phone and and sorry, so but it makes incredible not so incredible. Um, it's got it's got an eight megapixel camera on it. It's got a one point two gigahertz dual core processor. Um, it's it's a fantastic phone. It is incredibly quick. Um, the camera, as I've been playing with it, is fantastic. I, I'm formerly a BlackBerry user, and the one thing BlackBerry doesn't have is a, is a decent camera. Um, and so, you know, this has been a big, big step up for me and a fantastic. Uh, Samsung sent it to me to review, and the next day, after, uh, after I played with it for a day, I went and ordered one. Um, it's really, really a fantastic camera phone. Um, the only thing it now needs is one or two accessories, which the iPhone has, like lenses and tripod adapters and things like that. Um, but otherwise, it's fantastic. <laughs> so that, that's my new toy. Uh, I've always got to have a new toy when I come on the show. Very cool. All right. My new toy is uh, it's called the Gimbal, G-Y-M-B-L. It's from a company called Ubik, Y-O-U-B-I-Q. And it is essentially uh, an iPhone tripod, which probably won't fit your phone, 
Tristan. <laughs> That's, <point. laughs> That's what happened. Nanny, 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 nanny. But it is, it, this thing is awesome. It is, uh, it's designed to allow you to do panoramic photography, which is in keeping with what we're talking about on this show, I guess. Um, so it'll, it'll rotate around its optical center or nodal point around the lens's nodal point. So it'll swing in 360 degrees around that. You can turn it horizontal, horizontal, vertically. Um, you can flip it around and use it as just a stand. So you can do FaceTime stuff with it. And it's slick. You know, it's just a little thing that sort of folds up and, you know, it comes with a little case that, that it can quickly attach and detach from very quickly. So you just carry the phone around and, and it just looks like a phone with a case. And then on the side, it's got this little jack where you can click into and adhere the, uh, the legs to it and then, you know, become a serious photographer. So it's really, really cool. I've been playing with it for a couple of days. I'm actually doing a photo walk for the This Week in Photo Smug Mug group this afternoon. And I'm shooting, we're actually going to be meeting in San Francisco by the, on the Embarcadero by the, the Bay Bridge. I'm going to do some panoramic photography with the gimbal um, from there, and then I'll, uh, I'll post them later, hopefully. If I get any decent shots, I'll post them. So, Frederick, does it have a quarter 20 thread on it? No, it. Yeah, okay. you know what? Actually, it does. Yes, I take that back. It comes with a little accessory that will slide in instead of the tripod legs mm. that has a quarter, a, a standard tripod socket on there. So, so you I can, could use it on my S95. You can use it cool. anywhere. Yep, yep. All right. It is awesome. Good to yeah. know. Yep, so check them out. It's at, uh, we'll, we'll just put the link to them in the show notes, but if you are listening while mobile, it's Ubik, Y-O-U-B-I-Q, like ubiquitous, Y-O-U-B-I-Q dot com. Check them out. I'm, uh, it's the new object of my desire. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo, a.k.a. TWIP, Silarina. You uh, before we before we close the show out, I know you're working on a couple things, and you you mentioned that you you have a book in the works of some I do. sort. What, I what's, do. I have what's a, the deal? Your books are uh, always anticipated because you like <laughs> yeah. you put yourself in the hospital getting these books out. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth every it's worth every doctor bill, Frederick. It's um, awesome. So can I tell you on that really quick? Yeah. I was in uh, Florida in May doing a couple of videos with Kelby Training mm-hmm. and right on speed lighting. And right in the middle of that week, I had to take myself to the hospital in the middle of the night for a kidney stone. Jeez. So you're right. I do put myself in the hospital for the people who, who want to learn what I have to share. Wow. Um, but hey, thanks for asking. My uh, current book project, we haven't officially announced it, but it's called uh, Photography On and Off of the Trail. And it's a book that focuses upon taking cameras and and photographs in the backcountry. I'm an avid hiker and backpacker and um, looking forward to sharing a lot of the techniques that I've learned. And as long as I have the mic, I also want to give a quick shout out. I'm really excited. In three weeks, I'm heading out to Maine Photographic Workshops, the Maine Media Workshops, to do a speed lighting workshop. So if any of my students are listening, looking forward to meeting you guys all in Maine. It's going to be a great week. Very cool. Very cool. And where where can people find out about that? Just go to your site? Yeah, go to um, speedlighting.com, and that's spelled Canon's way, S-P-E-E-D-L-I-T-I-N-G.com. Very cool. All right. And Tristan Hall, where are, or what do you have going on, and where can people go to find out more about you? Best place is at photocomment.net. Um, if you want to check out the latest issue of the magazine, it's photocomment.net forward slash magazine. Um, on Twitter, photocomment. And um, for the Sony people out there, you can find me on alphatutorials.co.za. 
Um, not that I enjoy being in front of the camera. I don't think I'm still getting comfortable with that, but, but you'll get to see me on chatting about some of the stuff on, on Alpha Tutorials. So. Very cool. All right. And you're also on Twitter and all that magic. Are you on, right. Are you on Google Plus yet, Tristan? Yes, I am. Yeah, but unfortunately, um, there's no way to say, "Hey, go find me at Google Plus slash Tristan Hall." Yet, right? Not, not yet. No, and and they haven't. In- I want them to integrate it into Google Apps accounts. So I'm using a Gmail account I had to resuscitate from some years back. Because same here. Um, you know, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully same they'll here. fix it. Yeah, we'll see. The Google Apps people are are seem to be behind the rest of Google. So. Yes, you yeah. are right. All right, and if, listeners, you want to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Google Plus profile, our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you haven't already, grab a copy of our free 10 TWIP Tips ebook. You can find it at thisweekinphoto.com slash ebook. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com, my Google Plus page, at fvj.me slash plus or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash frederickvane and with that it is time to take that lens cap off This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.